I felt as though my life was so consumed by like, oh, we got to have get a have a baby like my clock is ticking like it was all consuming and it almost just like put the brakes on and was like whoa 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 like there's more to life than just like having a baby which I know that's not what people want to hear <laughs> so they didn't feel like that at the you know back in the day but yeah my my, my focus went 100% to like health what's my health like what's my plan what's my treatment plan yeah my, my whole mindset just completely shifted Two years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our baby girl to an undetected external infection. And what has followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. You know, I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. You know, no one told me that just because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Geds, and this is the Day One Podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents to be, doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation. Let's bring education to the forefront and most importantly, build a community so the journey doesn't feel so lonely. On today's episode, we honor Breast Cancer Awareness Month by having one of the most resilient people I have ever met come on and share her story on how her journey, her fertility journey, and her fertility diagnosis actually ended up leading to a cancer one. Katerina Durst, Kat, um, she has had a wild five years. Imagine going through everything we all go through and then get stopped in our tracks to have to manage um, a breast cancer diagnosis. It is a really twisty and windy story and I'm just so grateful to Kat for coming on and sharing. This episode is entitled More to Life and that's exactly what Kat's cancer diagnosis gave her is this perspective and it's easy we all get very very entangled in our fertility journey and this episode I hope gives you a little change in your perspective if it's just even for a week um, to kind of take our head out of the sand and um, take a big breath and say that there's there is more um, so I hope you enjoy welcome to the podcast thank you thank you thank I you. a very close friend of mine told me your story and I was like Oh, we're getting this girl. <laughs> um, yes, it's been a wild couple of years, that's for sure. And I know this is your first time, like really publicly, like giving the whole, you know, kit and caboodle. And I just want to first just start off and say, like, thank you so much. And it's so brave of you to share. Um, and it's just, I always say it's such a gift um, when people feel comfortable that they do want to share because it, you're just adding to this, um, the idea of normalizing all of this and giving people hope. And so off the bat, I just want to say, thank you. You know, people don't always talk about it and I didn't always talk about it, but I think that's uh, great what you're doing because yeah, people need to talk about it more. Like there's so many people going through some struggles and it does feel very alone. And I did feel a little bit ashamed. And so for no reason, like I'm very, I'm a logical person, but, um, yeah, I think it's really good to talk about it. So thanks for having me. And also it's October and it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is a big teaser to your story. So, um, you know, there's so many, there there's synergies, I think, between fertility and breast cancer, because it's all like the woman's body and having to build this relationship with your body. And I know that you've had to take this whirlwind um, that's taken you, I think in ways, you know, in the fertility journey, you're like, 
you're like, well, it's going to be around fertility. And I think um, without giving too much away, I'm going to, I'm going to lead you into start your story. But when I heard about yours, it's like, it's like, oh, holy shit, this isn't just fertility now. Um, it got me to find out some hard things, but your story kind of took this turn. So um, where, where should we begin? Sure. Yeah. I can start from, I guess, if you want to call it the beginning. So yeah, my husband and I had been uh, together a number of years, got married. Uh, you know, we were still relatively young, like 30 when we got married. And then uh, we decided to wait a couple of years to, to start getting pregnant. And we got really lucky the first time we got pregnant uh, that we tried. And so we were, uh, we were like, oh, great. This is great. This is how it seems to happen for all my friends. It's happening perfectly for us. Um, and then we had a miscarriage. Uh, we had no heartbeat when we went for the first ultrasound. And I think that was uh, the biggest shock of my life because I just had never thought that could happen. And I know everyone says that, you never think it's going to be you. And it, it was definitely me and didn't happen to any of my friends around me that I knew about. And so I felt very um, sad, alone, frustrated. Um, and so I quickly had a DNC. I just wanted the baby out of me. And I know it's like, there's different options you can do, but that was the choice I made. And unfortunately the DNC didn't work. So a couple months later, I had to have a second DNC, uh, which, you know, anyone going through fertility knows days feel like years. So those two months just waiting to have the second DNC felt like forever had the second one. And, um, and then I thought I was, you know, good to go. But what ended up happening is, I don't know, we don't really know what happened. The doctor will never admit it, but essentially um, from the second or first and second DNC, uh, they scraped my uterus too hard. And then I guess it ended up uh, scarring completely shut together. And so I didn't know this for months and months. I just wasn't getting my period. Um, again, felt like an eternity. I was so consumed by like figuring out what was wrong with me. Saw different doctors, no one really knew finally found someone um, who said it was Asherman's, which is essentially scarring of the uterus. And if I'm jumping into too many details or going down a path, uh, you want to skip over. I do know. not want to skip over this. Path. <laughs> okay. I don't want to skip over the DNC that closed your uterus. So keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in hindsight, would I have maybe not done a DNC? Who knows? But um, it, it definitely caused me to have uh trauma down there. And so I had to have, um, I had to have a surgery where one of the doctors went in and basically like opened up all the scar tissue and then they put a balloon in and I uh, had to have a balloon in, I think it was about a week's time. And then it was just waiting to see if that worked. And I got lucky it did work. I have to admit, like I saw some doctors earlier that said, Oh, you have like a 5% chance of ever being pregnant again. Um, you know, just really bad stats. I would just leave doctor's offices like crying, being like, I, this is awful. Anyways, this one doctor did this procedure and it worked. And I got my period like the next month and it was great. And I was so happy. We're like, oh, we're on like the right trajectory. And then um, what happened was I was around my three-year mark to get a path done. And so when he was doing that surgery, he had done a path at the same time. And I got the results back. I had an irregular path we're like, really? Like, we just thought we were, you know, about to start um, now thinking about getting pregnant again. And that, then I had to go see another doctor around the ir irregular path. And so I did that. And she recommended doing a leap procedure, which is where they remove um, those irregular cells, and they try to get a clear enough margin, so that there's no, uh, I guess, irregular cells left. And I guess the point is, is those cells can eventually turn into cervical cancer. So it's like pretty, pretty important that you do those kind of procedures. And they're very common. Like, as far as I know, I think it's, I don't want, don't quote me, but you know, it's like pretty significant amount of women will have a leap procedure in their time. So didn't think anything about it, had it went on. And, um, you know, that took a while. Like they said, I needed to wait a couple months before I could start getting pregnant again. And so at this point it had been well over a year from the time we had our miscarriage and I happened to reconnect with an old friend of mine who is a fertility doctor in the U.S. And she was very adamant that um, I should consider doing IVF or doing an egg retrieval uh, and, and, and getting embryos because she suggested that it'll take the pressure off. You know, hopefully I get more than one and then it will help with like future family planning. And so 
you know, my husband and I talked about it and we're like, yeah, let's do it. Because I don't think I can describe in words how stressful that year was for me. It was just all consuming. I wasn't really telling anyone what I was going through because it just felt like, I don't know why I, I tried to think about why I didn't tell anyone. It was just felt like it was just all consuming. And I just wanted to wait till I had like good news to tell people. And I didn't want to keep like being like, Oh, this more bad news or this doctor said this. And so it was just a very stressful year. So anyways, we decided to do IVF um, and we started on the drugs and we were lucky. We got it covered. Uh, the government funded one. So we started on the drugs and during that process, I woke up one night to a pain in my chest and I was like, hmm, that feels weird. And I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe I just have uh, sensitive boobs because of like the drugs I'm on, but there was a little bit of a lump there. And so I asked my fertility doctor uh, my next appointment and he said, no, like that's, that's not like a sign of the fertility drugs. Like you should go to your doctor and get that checked out. And so, you know, continued on with the retrieval. We did it all at the same time, gone to my family doctor um, and again, wasn't really thinking anything about it. She's like, okay, I want to get you into like this hospital. And so I ended up waiting almost like three weeks to go get a mammogram done. And, uh, when I was getting the mammogram done, like the people, the technicians faces just like dropped. And so I basically knew at that time it was breast cancer. And so I was actually at that point had started the drugs to do an implant. Like I was maybe two or three days in. And so I had to stop them right away and wait for the results to come in, which I already knew because of their faces, um, which it took two weeks. And then I got the results and yeah, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. So it was uh, a wild year and a half. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. I think I want to pause here yeah. for a sec. I can't there's so many things I want to dissect about this right now. First, I want to talk about like the fact that you were on the road to a transfer, like emotionally, you know, you've gone through all of this insanity. Um, and you're like, okay, like I feel when you're on the road to the transfer, you're like, it's the last ring. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I've jumped through all the hoops and this is the hoop. And so I, the fact that that was even the timing must have been like that, that, like that in itself that you have to like, you're on the road, you're, you're days away from a transfer. And now you have to stop in, in Mm -hmm. any circumstance, I think is like devastating, devastating, but then to stop because of this, like even bigger health concern, how, like, what did you even do? Like, how did you manage those couple weeks? I'm like, were you on like just Netflixed yourself to like, yeah, to to numbness? It was almost like, uh, I'm trying to think back to those days. It almost like kicked me into a better headspace, weirdly enough, because I felt as though my life was so consumed by like, oh, we got to have, get a, have a baby. Like my clock is ticking. Like it was all consuming. And it almost just like put the brakes on and was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like there's more to life than just like having a baby, which I know that's not what people want to hear. <laughs> and like, no, no. I definitely didn't feel like that at the, you know, back in the day, but um, yeah, my, my, my focus went 100% to like health. What's my health? Like, what's my plan? What's my treatment plan? Um, just like, yeah, my, my whole mindset just completely shifted and I can't really, I don't really know why, but it just did. But I think that's an important point. And I like advocate for this all the time, which is in your case, I feel like this is the positive way to think about it necessarily. Cause now you're like, Oh, now I have to think about my own health, which is a whole other thing. But I do feel like, um, fertility and going through treatment, it does take over your entire existence. And I do feel as a society, we need to be doing a better job at like, it doesn't, I I don't want to be like, I don't want to speak for anyone, first of all. And and I'm not saying that this is the answer, but there needs to be a way where you feel you can go through this fertility treatment and feel like you have a, a life you can live 
at the same time. So then you don't feel it as all encompassing. And um, yeah, so I don't think that that is like, I mean, I didn't expect that to be your answer, but I don't, (laughs) but I don't think that is the wrong like feeling to be like, Oh, like almost to give you perspective shift. Yeah. And I don't know if I realized it at the time, like it's probably looking back now Mm -hmm. I can say, Oh yeah. All of it. Like, I I think looking back, that's kind of um, like, was I very sad that my sort of fertility journey at that point was over? Absolutely. Did I stop thinking about it? No, I still thought about it a lot. I was like, when and how like that was like some of my questions it's like a little like bird on your early shoulder, day you know what I mean yeah it's how like long do you have to wait yeah everything to start yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. regardless it's like always when there. you don't have your baby it just kind of like it's like sits on you you like feel this little weight for it it never goes away always yeah. always so, so yeah so it was yeah <laughs> I'm just like, I'm trying to take in your story it's like so okay so you got diagnosed with breast cancer and are you open to talking about what the treatment was and what those yeah. couple months led up to? Yeah. So, so I was really lucky. Um, well, not, I guess lucky is a bad word to say, but I feel like the doctor I had at the time was great. And he called me. So when I had to call him to tell him the results were confirmed, it's breast cancer. Um, he, he very was like, okay, you've got to focus on that. But he's like, consider doing another retrieval before you start on chemo, because chemo kills your uh, egg quantity, not your quality, but your quantity. And so, and I was, you know, 33, I think at the time. Um, And so he was like, can like talk to your doctor, see if we can squeeze in another retrieval, because I had only got one uh, embryo the last time. And so I knew I wanted, I personally wanted more than one kid, I wanted any kid, but you know, in a perfect world, I wanted more than one kid. And so um, he, he was like, great. Cause he was supportive of obviously my treatment plan, but still had that focus on fertility for me, which was, he lovely. kept so the eye I, on the prize for you. Exactly. So yeah. I t- talked to my, um, oncologist and he said, yeah, no problem. Um, so I went and did, um, I started a, a retrieval mid cycle, which I don't know, that's not very common. So usually you have to start for like day one or two of your period, start on the drugs, but I was probably like, I don't know, day 10 at the time, but they were able to still get me on the drugs and do the retrieval. Um, and so I had to push my chemo probably like a week to do that. And I actually, I was given the option not to do this, but I did it. I did an egg retrieval. I think it was like 9am in the morning. And I started my first chemo at 1pm that afternoon, which I wouldn't really recommend to anyone, but I just didn't want to wait, uh, any longer to start on my, on the chemo. So, uh, that was a, a pretty hectic draining day to say the least. Uh, and then, yeah, so I did chemo, uh, I did eight rounds and then I did uh, surgery. So I had a mastectomy, just one, uh, boob, and then I did radiation for 25 rounds and then I had reconstruction and that was it. And I responded so well to all my treatment plan. It's now been four years. So it's, uh, great. Like I feel very, very lucky that I, uh, responded well. I think I had a really good mindset going into all of it, which helped. And yeah, I just count my blessings. So that was it. So that took about, I started in September and I finished everything, I think in May, the following year. So just under a year, not including reconstruction, but just to the end of radiation took about a year. And like I said, during that time, never forgot about, uh, wanting to have a kid. And so, my doctor was like, or my fertility doctor was like, KKK, like, you know, you have other important things to take care of. And I had thought maybe we should look into surrogacy because for me to be able to carry a, we always, we always knew it would be risky because of that Asherman's issue I had. And then B now because of chemo, I'd have to wait a couple of years um, to carry. And we didn't even know if it would work because of the Asherman's. So we decided pretty early on when I was doing chemo that we wanted to uh, look into getting a surrogate. And so. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Okay. Another important pause. Um, I have a few questions for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. How many normal embryos did you have at this point? So, yeah. So my first egg retrieval, I got one. Like one, I got like one normally tested. 
That's okay. It. And okay. It, so we tested all of them. Um, okay. So I think I had five in total that came out of me over the two, five uh, the embryos that made it to blastocyst over those two retrievals and three of them came back normal. So we had oh. three embryos. Okay. And I also want to ask how your relationship was doing. We met in 2005. So we'd been together for a long time, been through a lot together. I would say that this was obviously like the biggest challenge we had ever gone, gone through fertility way harder than the cancer part. Interesting. 100%. I totally assumed the opposite. Yeah. So I, I would agree with you too, because both do have predictable, unpredictable outcomes, but I think that with me for cancer, everything that came my way and everything I did worked. And so we saw a positive result. So I did chemo the, that shrunk. I had a mastectomy. It came back a hundred percent with no cancer uh, left in the boob. Um, so everything was working and it was positive, even though it was a really tough time, uh, we were getting the results we wanted. Whereas fertility, everything we did seemed to not be working. And so it was really, really challenging because you start not like we were pointing fingers, but you kind of a little bit like, oh, is it your fault? Is it my fault? Or you just feel really sad about it not working and like hopeless and frustrated because you're, you're trying so hard to make it work but it's out of your control. Like there's only so much you can do. And so I think that's why it was really hard on our relationship. That is such an interesting point because I wouldn't, I would have not, I mean, and look, not everyone that goes through breast cancer has Mm -hmm. positive outcomes, but this is your experience with it. And that's so interesting to me where you were like in the depth of fertility treatment, you flipped over to cancer treatment and there was like more of a positive, which I think it's fair to assume if anyone heard your story, like my initial response would be like, how did you even deal with cancer treatment and chemo? And like all mm-hmm. of that feels overwhelming. And while I hear myself say this, I, I bet you people that are observing fertility treatment probably feels like that being like, how do you deal with that? How do you do needles? How do you deal with the disappointment mm-hmm. of it? Um, it's just, an, it just caught in my mind where I'm like, oh, that I am intimidated a bit by even talking to you about the cancer stuff because it's so out of my, like my mother had cancer. I've had people in my life with cancer, mm-hmm. but like, I can understand why people might not want to talk to other ones going through fertility because it feels like, oh, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to ask, mm-hmm. make them feel sensitive. And I almost feel like that sometimes when I hear you talk about your experience, it's just it just clicked in my head. I'm like, whoa, that's just an interesting parallel, I I guess. I would also say that, um, the way I approached my fertility situation and the way I approached my breast cancer situation was so different. So, or, or maybe not approach is the right word, but like with fertility, I was much more like secretive about it. I was like kind of going through it on my own. But with cancer, I knew like I was gonna lose my hair. I had to take off time off work. Like I knew I just had to be more open about it. And so that was probably the best thing that happened through getting breast, breast cancer is I became so open. I started an Instagram account where I would just basically for my own selfishness, I didn't want to have to repeat my story all the time if people asked me. So I just put all my updates there and people started following me and the amount of support I got through it, it was like blown away. It was like a game changer for me. Um, like I tell people now, cause you know, young women will reach out to me who have just recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I say, that's what I did. Like you can go to my page, look at it, but it was the best decision I ever made because I just felt so much love and it gave me so much, like I was like buzzing with like energy during that time, just from like the support I got. And so it's so different. I don't know why one I was secretive with and one I wasn't, I was like the complete opposite with, like I told everyone anything they wanted to know. So I thought I was fairly open about it. Um, And yeah, so I think that also helped it be a very positive experience. I also feel as though because I was open, I connected way better with people as a result. Um, Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is before cancer, like, 
what you had said, I was the exact same. If someone was going through a bit of a challenging time, I was the type of person that would be like, Ooh, I don't want to like ask them the wrong question or upset them. And so rightly or wrongly, I was like, I'm just not going to like talk to them or, you know what I mean? And I would just be like, Oh, I hope they're okay. And I'm thinking about them, but I don't want to like reach out because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I made me feel uncomfortable. And now, uh, since going through my own breast cancer journey and being open about it and people reaching out to me, I've like learned that it's just people reaching out is just what really matters. And like, at least it did for me. And I, I feel as though I've been able to connect with people on a different level since having breast cancer. It's funny. It's like everything you're saying about about the support on breast cancer is like, I, that's why I, th- I think fertility is just behind, you know what I mean? Like we're just behind. Yeah. Did you, behind. um, did you start to share your fertility or have you never, like, actually I know the answer to this question. So yeah. you still kept everything you were dealing with, with fertility under wraps, even though the, you, the support you were getting from the cancer gate lit you up, you still were like, I, yeah. that was still a box you kept closed. So I didn't like put it on social media or anything like that, but I did start to tell um, my family and some of my close friends about everything we had gone through. And I mean, sorry, my friends and my, and my parents and my husband's parents, maybe like they knew about the first miscarriage and kind of like the, the issue there. And then there was a period of time where I didn't tell them about all those doctor's appointments. Cause I just thought like, Oh, I'll just find the solution and then we'll have a solution and we'll get pregnant. And so I don't need to like keep them updated along the way. That's how I so felt going too. through all that was, was, was where I didn't tell anyone. And then when we first, um, yeah. And then there's like so much more to my journey, like, you know, from 2018 till 2020. Oh yeah. We're, we're going to touch on yeah. that. We're going to touch. I just, I, I, I wanted to take a second to really dissect the cancer stuff because I think it's such a, well, a a huge part of your story and also why you, your fertility journey um, turned the way that it did. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just very interesting and enlightening and, you know, beautiful to hear you talk about the different perspectives. Um, Like you were, because I also think it's rare to be like in the midst of a fertility treatment and then having mm-hmm. to switch into a totally different one. And, um, and it's just, it's very interesting to hear the way you've dealt with both of them. Um, so we can, we can go back. Let's go. I think you left off in the sense where you knew that surrogacy was now going to be um, the best option for you. That's right. And so we, so one thing that I'll just say before we jump into that is, um, right. So I had that irregular path where I had that leap procedure done. And then about a year later, so I think you go every six months or something like that for checkups. And about a year later, I was going for my regular six months and they found more irregular cells. Of course they did. And that was, yeah, of course, exactly like within a week of me finding out that I had breast cancer. And so the, um, gynecologist wanted to do another leak procedure. And my oncologist said, no, her body's too weak. You have to wait to do it, to do it. And so knowing what I know now, that would not have been the advice I would give, but I did wait until I was done chemo. And then I had, um, another leap procedure done. And so anyone that's gone through chemo knows that you feel the worst and the most run down at the end, because it's cumulative. And so my body was way more run down and worse um, when I had the actual leap procedure done. And who, and I was also in menopause because of the, of the chemo. So everything's different down there. And uh, yeah, so that was around the same time that we started to look for a surrogate. So I had a second leap procedure done, started to look for a new surrogate or started to look for a surrogate. And um, yeah, I don't know where we want to go, which which storyline we want to go. Uh, like, so we can go with sur- surrogacy. So we started looking for a surrogate right when I finished chemo. And we found, we got really lucky, I think. We found an incredible woman who lives in Saskatchewan. Her whole family and my family, like me and my husband and her and her husband and her kids connected 
so well. Like we feel like we will be best friends with them for life. They're incredible people. She's, she's, uh, she has three kids. She had a daughter and then two twin boys. And she just knew when she held her daughter for the first time that she wanted to do this for other women because she just felt this like so much love and felt sad that some women couldn't have it. And she didn't even know really what it was. And she Googled surrogacy, found it. Her, everyone thought she was crazy for wanting to do it, but she just pushed ahead. Um, she knew that she wanted to finish her family first, so she had the twins. And then she started looking. And I think she was looking for uh, almost a year before she found my husband and I, we had just applied. And I think that she chose us because there were like similarities between her husband, my husband, her and I kind of thing. Like she could see similarities just in our profile and she was right. And we clicked right away. So we got lucky. I think we found her maybe within like a month or two of starting our search for a surrogate. We used an agency to, to find one. And so that was great, but the process takes a while. So you have to like get screened and she needed to wait, I think a certain amount of time, like her kids need to be a certain age and whatever. So there was like uh, time between finding her and actually like doing the first transfer. And so we did tell some, some of our family and friends that we had the surrogate. Uh, so she came to Toronto twice, once for screening and then once for the transfer. And so when she came for the transfer, we had like a barbecue and people met her and it kind of felt like this is our happy ending. Like, you know, I had finished all my treatment in uh, May and I think she came in August to do a tr the transfer, August, September to do the transfer. And just felt like, okay, like that's, done this is our new chapter and uh six weeks later no heartbeats again and it was just devastating like devastating and we because we had told so many people we had to like tell people it didn't work and she was devastated like she had never experienced a miscarriage understandably de devastated we were all just devastated it was very very tough time um but she was awesome. And she decided, like, I'm willing to do this again. Like, I want to help fill your family. And so we tried again um, in December. And it was positive. But then the ECG levels just never, like, went up. So it was, I don't know what you call those, chemical pregnancy or something like that. So uh, it was, like, January 1st or something <laughs> we found out like new year this is it like oh. we're gonna have our family and then I was like uh, more bad news and yeah it was really tough like anyone that's gone through doing IVF like as a surrogate I'm still blown away by like the generosity of those women that do it because it's so time consuming on your on your life it's painful with all the like drugs you got to poke into yourself it's emotional it's just it's a lot <laughs> and so I was blown away but you know understandably after two transfers with PGS totally normal embryos she was like I just don't think I can do a third and we only had one embryo left and you know we agreed like no hard feelings like at all we love her to pieces love her family and we just decided like it wasn't we weren't going to do a third transfer with her. So it was really hard too, because we really wanted it to work with her. Like she was amazing. Um, we trusted her with everything. So it was really hard. So it, it was about a year from the time we met her to the time we like parted ways with her doing two transfers. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, your story is just like, and I think last time we spoke, was there some stuff going on with you also with, with the, mm -hmm. yeah. So while this was going on, where's your body at? Yeah. So from a cancer perspective, from a breast cancer perspective, totally great. Um, so when I, as, I, as I mentioned around the time we met her, I had done that second leap and unbeknownst to us because everything was different and I wasn't getting my period because I was in menopause. Um, I, about 11 months later, so in November timeframe, so we had done the one transfer with her in August, and we were about to do another one. And it was maybe a couple weeks before. And I started getting like, incredibly brutal, brutal cramping, like I couldn't even 
stand and I still probably shouldn't admit this, but I had some painkillers from my surgery uh, and I took some like some yeah. Oxycontin. Yeah. I was like, I cannot deal with this pain and it didn't even work. So I immediately called my fertility doctor, went in and they were like, oh my gosh, like you have your period, but it's not coming out. We don't know why we think. And so, you know, fast forward, we know why now, but essentially when they did that second leap, um, they essentially removed most of my cervix by accident. And it basically just as a result became all just scar tissue down there. And so it couldn't come out. There was no, there was nowhere for the period to come out. I, 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 I don't like, I can't, I get me off the roller coaster. Yeah. It it was wild. So I think she was like starting her drugs and I'm having surgery to, or was a procedure under not general anesthetic, but sedation. So similar what, what you have with your egg retrieval. Um, So you're put, you're put out and they are trying to get into my cervix to drain the blood out. And I think the first one, they got, they got a little bit and it just kind of went away. So then fast forward December, I think she was coming the next day to do the, the implant. And I had to have that procedure the day before. It was hands down the most traumatizing day of my life. I was in the room where they do like the egg retrievals, um, or transfers. I was in there for four hours under sedation, which I don't know how long it lasts, but I think they give you enough for like half an hour. And so they kept, I think what happens, they just kept giving me like half an hour intervals. So I was like waking up as they're like doing this procedure, I'm like bawling because it is so incredibly painful because they cannot find a way to get into my uterus. And they're like poking at my cervix like a hundred times. I think three doctors came in um, that all the nurses were like, she just needs to have a hysterectomy. Like this is not working. Like this is, this is ridiculous. But the doc, my doctor who was so incredible pushed through and somehow got in there and put this, like, I don't even know, like a, a straw of some kind. She was able to kind of like MacGyver in there and I had to keep it in for like as long as I could, but it kept falling out. So like every other day I'd have to go back and she would like oh shove it back in there oh just my so God. my period could come out. And it was incredibly painful. And meanwhile, my surrogate's coming for a transfer. So I'm like, no, I'm fine. I can walk, no problem. <laughs> it was awful. Um, but, you know, you go through those times and it's fine. And yeah, and so every month, so I did it seven times. I had oh, to go in and have this procedure done for them to get, by the end, she was able to get a hole big enough that she could fit a catheter up there, which is what they use for like bladders. And I had a bag taped to my leg essentially uh, and would drain my period out. And so the last time she said, let's just keep it in there as long as it will stay. And it stayed in there for three months. So I had a catheter taped to my leg in the middle of summer for three months. It was, couldn't go in water. I couldn't like wear anything but dresses, which is fine, whatever. But it was uh, brutal. And obviously I'm like, okay, well, this is not how I'm going to live my life. So let's start the process of me having a hysterectomy because that's just how this is going to end. So I got referred to a surgeon, uh, so I got, uh, met with him and he said, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the right thing to do. And right after I met with him was the end of that sort of three month period of having that catheter in. And I got my, I came out and I got my period on my own. And I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. I got my period, but it could be temporary. Like I still want to be on the wait list for the hysterectomy. And I also was a little like worried about all these irregular cells they were finding on my cervix. That's why I had to have the two leaps. I'm like, I don't know if it's maybe there's still some in there and it's all covered by scar tissue. And I just don't want to wake up one day and have like cervical cancer. And no one could tell because it was all just covered by scar tissue. And I'm telling myself this, I don't know if that's actually like how it works. So yeah, I was on, I got a, I got a date for um, a hysterectomy for June, 2020. 
And I was getting my period at the time. So I'd had it now probably, I think like five or six months, maybe a bit more than that. And obviously it was like the midst of the pandemic. And so my surgeon called me and he said, you know, you're getting your period. Things are really bad at the hospital. Like, let's just postpone it for a little bit. And I was like, okay, totally on board with that. Let's postpone it a little bit. And so we postponed it. So it was June, 2020. Um, and that's kind of like my health. So I still haven't had a hysterectomy and fast forward, I guess it's like a year and a half later, just over a year later. So I haven't had a hysterectomy, but in the meantime, doing all that, we also uh, found another surrogate, did another transfer, it failed. We found another surrogate and did another transfer and it failed. And so it was like these battling streams of like my health and a surrogate and transfers and so much emotion and just craziness. Um, yeah, but there is, there is sort of a cherry on top at the end, I guess, if you want to call that or, you know, there is. This. Yeah. so, so you, you, you had three, I'm like trying to catch up to your fertility story in the midst of you having a straw inside of you for three months, yeah. letting you have your period. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I'm just going to pause there for a hot second. Yeah. Um, so you had those three, I'm just going to skip to the embryos part because it's the <laughs> only thing I can wrap my head around right, right. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had you three, had three embryos. embryos and then you did your other retrieval um, right before the chemo, which gave you more? No, no, no. So I, I had uh, in the two retrievals that I did before I started cancer, I had three embryos at the end of, of all of those two. And so one surrogate did two of your embryos. Another surrogate did another one. That's right. And okay. then we needed more. And so during when did I do it oh I guess it was um yeah so last year in 2020 in January when I was getting my period again so it was that period of time where I was getting my period and hadn't had the hysterectomy my fertility doctor said why don't we do more egg retrievals and obviously I had been through cancer so my egg count was really low like she's like you're gonna basically be in menopause like any day now um so what they, and, and I don't know all the drugs and all the levels and everything like that. You think I would have it memorized by now, but don't care. So I didn't. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I never want to think about that again. Yeah. So she said, because of where everything is at, we can't do a retrieval where we put pump you full of drugs and hope, hope for getting multiple eggs. We can only do, it's called a natural egg retrieval where they just get that one egg mm. out from that cycle. So like, it's like your normal period, like your normal cycle, they just get that one egg out. And so we did that and we got an egg out. So talk about stressful because you're like just batting with one egg, right? Um, so we get, we got it out from so doing all the drugs. At this point, I just started back at work too, which was timing wise, not, not ideal, but um, so we did it and we got one embryo, like it made it to the five days, which was amazing. And then my doctor was like, why don't we do another one? Like we had success. So we did a second one and we got lucky again, where we got a second embryo that made it to day five. And that was basically right when the pandemic hit. And so we didn't do any more. And we said, you know what, let's just stop there. We have to, let's send them for PGF testing. And they both came back as normal, which is for anyone that's going through that. It's like, I feel like the odds are crazy, but like, come on, you were ready to like, it was time for you to get a win here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, the odds are crazy, but like, you've had all the shitty odds, like at one point, you know what I mean? All the shitty odds. Yes, we did. Yeah. So yeah, so we did three, we had three surrogates, which as I mentioned, is a process to find a surrogate, screen them, you know, you spend time getting to know them, you get invested with their families, like it's a very emotional process. And um, yes, we had three surrogates. The first one, we did two transfers. And then the second one, we did one transfer. And the third one, we did one transfer. And so we still have one frozen embryo left now. Because none of them worked. Because none of those worked, which is 
to me just crazy because they were all normal PGS tested. These embryos were like, we're, we do not want to be in any other body. It's insane to me. Like, I don't even understand. Do the doctors have any theories to that? The only, no, like there's no theory. And I don't know, like, yeah, my husband and I always talk about like, what could it be? What could it be? Like the only thing we could like think of is maybe the embryos just didn't like being biopsied. Mm, Interesting. But like, who knows, right? Who knows? So So. you're basically now after breast cancer, like multiple leap surgeries, drains for your period. Yeah. Two surrogates, four different transfers left. Three surrogates. Three surrogates. Oh my gosh. Right. Four transfers. Just being like, I don't know if this is in the cards for us. Did you get to this point? Yes. So, so actually, um, after our, so yeah, so my husband and I all along, um, or we were getting to the point where we were like, you know what, maybe we're just not meant to have kids. You know, we kind of talked about adoption as an option, but we weren't really ready to like go down that route yet. Um, and we just started really being like, oh, our life isn't that bad without kids you know we just started trying to find some like positives and focus on the positives and you know during a pandemic hearing everyone dying with their kids at home yeah you know it made it like I don't know made it a little easier maybe I don't know but we just well you have to you have to yeah survival mode so we said you know maybe that's fine we can travel more do whatever we want we can retire younger like blah 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 you know we got screw you. those at kids this point, who wants kids yeah. anyways yeah. <laughs> at this kid at this point I was 38 right so I'm like this is like I'm getting old anyways to be a mom in my in, that was my opinion anyway so we had this third surrogate we did a fourth transfer on October 29th 2020 and the next day I was like, I'm not feeling very well. Like, and I haven't had my period in a very, very long time. And we were going up to a cottage, which I know you shouldn't really have done during the pandemic, but we had this one couple that we had kind of bubbled with. And it was judging it was my you birthday. on this podcast. Let's yeah. keep going. <laughs> you <laughs> we were went, able to we enjoy to- yourself after five years of shit. You went <laughs> yeah. to a cottage. We're, we're good. We're good. Yeah. It was my birthday weekend. So we were bringing up some alcohol to drink and everything like that. And randomly in the car right up, my husband's like, maybe we should just like stop and get um, a pregnancy test. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. And so we stopped and, and we've never done this before. I don't know really why I think maybe I was just wasn't feeling well, hadn't had my period and we we're going to go drink that weekend. Um, and so, yeah, I did the pregnancy test at the cottage and it was positive and so totally randomly unexpected um I was actually pregnant myself which oh is my just insane insane yeah I have, and like, we had just done a transfer the day before into a surrogate so we were like oh my god we might have twins that aren't actually twins but as I already mentioned that transfer didn't work so but my natural pregnancy did work. And so, yeah, I have a little son now who's four months old, which is just unbelievable. Like I pinch myself, um, especially like looking back and talking about it with you now, it just seems like unreal. And maybe it was just, yeah, I don't know. Lucky number seven. He was number seven. Yeah. I am speechless and have like massive goosebumps right now. I can't, (laughs) I, I, um, you know, you hear these like crazy fertility stories, like we've been doing IVF for years and then we just tried and we got pregnant mm-hmm. and part of you is like, Ooh, like annoyed at it. But when I hear your yeah. story, I'm like, yes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. by, like, come on, like you needed this, like this, you were so deserving, not that everyone's deserving, but like of this miracle, like real true, miracle. like, like yeah so, so we're, we're like what happened at the cottage were you just like uh I'm pregnant shocked yeah I was like uh can't drink this like because they had like poured me a glass and I was like uh guys like I have a positive pregnancy test everyone was freaking out I was freaking out 
But the thing is, is that because of all my like issues down there, like I had the Asherman's where my uterus was scarred shut. I had that cervix issue where my cervix was like, you know, all messed up. I thought for sure this pregnancy wasn't going to work. I didn't think my doctors would even let me like carry it. So, you know, we were like, and we thought, oh, for sure the third, fourth transfer into our third surrogate's going to work. And so we were like banking on that one working and mine not working, but it ended up being the opposite. And so, yeah, we were very, the first trimester was it didn't feel like it didn't feel real. Right. And, and I was put to a high, the high risk clinic in Mount Sinai and they decided that I needed to have a cerclage put on my cervix, which is a, like a stitch they'll put around. So I say cervix anyways, not to whatever get, was, there, left there was of your something, <laughs> yeah, there was something that they could put it around. And uh, it's actually kind of interesting to me, at least that uh, so I wasn't sure because my fertility doctor was saying, no way, do not do that. It's, it's, it's risky and they could like hit the uterus and uh, break the amniotic fluid and you could miscarriage. Whereas the high risk people at Mount Sinai were saying like, you've got to do this. Otherwise there's risk that your like cervix or whatever's there can't hold the baby in and you'll have an early term pregnancy. And so I was, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what do I do? And so the, the hospital said, well, the surgeon can call you. He can talk to you if you want. And I said, okay, have him, it, like, that would be great. I'd, I'd love to talk to him. And so later that day, he actually called me and he was like, hi, it's, uh, you know, so-and-so. So I was supposed to do your hysterectomy and now I'm going <laughs> to do this. Like he was like blown away. And I was like, me too. I'm totally blown away. But he convinced me that it was not, he convinced me, but you know, his, his thoughts uh, led me to believe that it was the right path to go down. And he actually said, I have an opening tomorrow. So if you can come in in the next hour, I can do it tomorrow. So I basically like dropped everything, showered. My husband dropped me off at the hospital at like 10 PM at night. And I had the surgery the next day, totally unprepared, like just mentally, everything wasn't prepared and it was a whirlwind. Um, but yeah, and it worked. And he said it was one of the hardest surgeries he's done, but it was successful. So, uh, and my baby stayed in me till almost 36 weeks. So I think it was a good idea to do it, I guess. Oh yeah. my God. And tell me your delivery was manageable. Well, because I had the surclage, it was a C-section. Okay. Okay. And it, it was scheduled, but my son came early. So it was, I guess, a bit of an emergency C-section, but it was totally I was like, fine. Of <laughs> yeah. And, and he wasn't really breathing. So he was in the NICU. But oh, he was, right. He's totally fine now. So yeah. he's like, the <laughs> apple's not falling far from the tree. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, what a story. Yeah. 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 It's wild. And I don't know. I, I think what I've learned through everything is like, everyone has shitty things going on in their life. Like we're getting older, like no one's immune to shitty things. Unfortunately, I hate to say that. Um, and it's really just given me like a different perspective on like how to connect with people, how to, how to, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I feel like a little bit. So the cancer for me has turned into a blessing for sure. I mean, I've so far beat it. And so if, if I continue to beat it, it's a blessing. Surrogacy was the worst thing ever. And I, I feel for people going through it. And I really think that um, as hard as it is not to have it be all consuming in, of your life. Like that would be like my one tip is, and I, I, I feel like I didn't learn this through going fertility. I learned it through going through breast, breast cancer. And you kind of alluded to it at the beginning is like you, for me, it was finding other things in my life, even if they were small things that like just brought you a little bit of joy that day. Um, and try not to make it like all consuming. Cause like, like life can get way worse, I guess. And so try to like enjoy what you have and all the positives that you have, even though you don't have a kid, even though you're going through all that really tough time, like I'm sure there are some positives that you can find and try to focus on those as much as possible because yeah, I don't know. Like life is short. You can't control the fertility thing. Um, you just got to go through the motions as much as possible, but yeah, try to find some, some joy in other places in your life. You are one of the most resilient people I've interviewed. I am yeah. 
so blown away from yes, your story. And I think the story lives as its, as its own entity, but as someone who has um, triumphed, not just from a health perspective and a baby perspective, but from like a human perspective, like Mm -hmm. your ability to share this, but provide perspective. And I truly don't know. And, you know, we don't want to compare, but I, I don't know how you kept putting one foot in front of the other. And it's just, you know, it's because you were meant to have this baby. And I, I say this Mm -hmm. in a ton of my episodes, which is like, you look down at the baby you, you do eventually get. And I think everyone will get there and you're like, oh, this was this messed up journey to get you like, exactly. Exactly. I 100% believe that. And you give me goosebumps when you say um, such nice things. So thank you. And it's, yeah, you're really, you're really, yeah, like I look at my son and I feel like very grateful sometimes about, you know, so I stopped working when I got cancer. And then when I had all those surgeries for my cervix, I also didn't work because it was just too hard to, to work and have all that going on so I had a period of time where I wasn't working and like it was a blessing like I got to spend time with my family I got I took some courses on like mindfulness um I took some courses on like nutrition and eating certain ways um you know I went for walks I just kind of slowed down and going into the pandemic I know it felt really hard for everyone else but I feel like I already had a little bit of a taste of it and I really appreciate different things I know it's corny I hear myself saying this and it sounds so corny but I don't know it just gave me such a different perspective on life and yeah fertility is tough but there's more to life than just fertility and just appreciating the small moments and like the joys that you can get out of it you know like yeah it sucked I had to have surgery like every month and all this stuff and oh like gross 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 looking back at it but getting that time to spend with my parents was really nice. Or some of my friends were on mat leave and that was hard for sure going and hang out with them with their babies. But we look back and we think like, Oh, what a treat. Like once a week, twice a week, I got to see you for like a year. Like that's, you don't get to see your friends that often anymore, you know? And so there are, there can be some benefits to things we're going through. I don't think that sounds corny. I think that sounds like survival. Yeah. Survival is right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've answered this, but because I feel like I need to formally ask you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would be your like number one advice for somebody starting the, their day one of their fertility journey? Yeah, that's a really tough question because it is a tough, it can be a tough period to be in, you know, like it might work out perfectly for you and it might not. Um, and I think, yeah, for me, my one advice and, you know, I listen to a bunch of your podcasts and people have all great advice that they've given. Um, I would say that it's to find things in your life that still bring you joy and to not let your fertility journey be your whole life. You know, I look back to my pre-cancer fertility, uh, situation and it was so heavy. Like, I just think back to how I felt then and, it almost brings tears to my eyes because it was, I was so consumed by it. So stressed out. I thought I was a huge failure and time felt like it was creeping by so slow. Like I just couldn't, I just, I was a you know type a person wanted to get everything done and have everything be as perfect as possible. And I couldn't focus on anything else. And now, you know, I think cancer really did give me an opportunity to realize there's more to life. And since then, you know, we, we travel, we're like, well, we, we don't have kids, let's travel more. Or, you know, there's just all these things that we were able to focus on elsewise. And so even if it's day to day, so yeah, so I read a book called Option B by Cheryl Sandberg, which is all about resilience. Um, her husband passes away, and she has to like, you know, pick up her her life after it. And I happened to be reading it around the time I got diagnosed with cancer. And I think one of the tips in there was like that she was given to just write down like three things 
that made you smile that day or made you happy that day. And it could be small things like somebody held the door open for me or like the Starbucks person was nice to me or something like that. And so I think that would be kind of my advice is try to just find like little tidbits of like happiness or joy in your day. And it doesn't have to be big things like a huge trip. It could just be a nice conversation you had with it. And she was actually writing them down every day. So I started doing that at the beginning of my cancer journey. I didn't keep it up, but yeah, I don't know. I think that would be my suggestion. (laughs) That is a great, 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 great suggestion coming from someone who has had to endure multiple different treatments and health scares. And uh, well, I hope nothing but an amazing mat leave for you and amazing little cuddles that, you know, and, and, and I'm just in awe of, of you. And it's so brave of you to come and share. And I'm just thankful again. Um, I just, what a story. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Emily. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I haven't really had the chance to like tell my story from start to finish. Um, You know, I've started telling some, some people, my parents, my close friends, but yeah, it's really, I guess, looking back in it in totality, I'm like, wow. But also like, thank you for having this podcast and having this opportunity because people do need to start talking about it more. You're not alone. There are so many people going through similar things, finding a support network, hearing that you're not, it's not you, you're not the failure. Um, Like you're not failing. Like it's just, it's just life, you know? So I appreciate you kind of having these stories out there for people to not feel alone. It's really great. Thank you.